0: Rub it up and welcome to Cars Yash, show number 2171. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yash, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yash. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah today. Yeah, back across the pond, I seem to bounce back and forth quite a bit in Oxfordshire in the UK with a very special guest by the name of Ben Hadley. Ben, welcome to Cars Yeah. Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch?
1: Absolutely. Ready when you are.
0: All right. Now, before we get into your world, I guess I have to ask the question, with the product that you create, is there a clutch?
1: Uh, no, we're 100% electric now. Yeah, uh, we're, we're making that move. We're, we're kind of trying to show that you, there, is a, there is a way to make electric, fun, classic cars and have one foot in the future, one in the past.
0: There you but, go. Uh, about that. Well, we'll explain what that means in a moment. But before I
1: introduce you, I have a
0: question for you. I ask all my guests. It kind of opens up maybe a different part of your world. What's one little thing that maybe people don't know about you, Ben?
1: Uh, I used to be a ski racer. Yeah, I used to be in the British ski team for a decade. I bought a pair of skis on eBay, ended up eighth in the world, and then retired at 115 miles an hour when I crashed and, broke, crashed and broke my neck.
0: Yeah, ouch. We might be talking about that when we talk about challenges. Oh, that hurts to even think about it. I used to ski a lot, and I cannot even imagine traveling at that kinds of, of speed. You know, I had uh, I'd become a friend of mine, Sean Cridlin, who's an author who was a speed racing champion the guys that go down those is that what you did go down those hills straight really yeah, fast? Straight,
1: straight line wearing rubber suits Darth Vader helmets yeah you know. so you may know of
0: Sean Cridlin he uh, name, yeah he used to train on the top but by strapping himself onto this top of a Porsche and then the guy would drive at high speeds to see how I'm like Okay, that's a little crazy, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Let me give you a proper introduction. Ben Headley is the founder and CEO of The Little Car Company. The company was founded in 2019 to create junior cars with Bugatti, and it quickly expanded to work with other major automotive companies, including Ferrari, Aston Martin, Eon Productions, Tamiya, and others. The Little Car Company is the world expert in producing exceptional junior cars in partnership with the most elite car manufacturers. This unique partnership gives guarantees that every vehicle is an official licensed product of that brand. Ben has founded several companies, all of which he's very proud to say still exist today. And of course, he mentioned that he spent a decade on the British ski team uh, as a speed skier and ranked eighth in the world. His love for cars and speed extends to his personal garage, where you'll find a roof, a modified Porsche 964. That's cool. A 1979 MGB Roadster with a tuned V8. Interesting. And a 630 horsepower R35 GTR. As a daily driver, you still like to go fast, Ben. And on the weekends, guess what? He also races Caterhams. Very cool. We'll be back in just a moment. But first, a word from our sponsor. So give them a little love, and we'll be right back. Covercraft has the most complete line of custom seat covers available. Choose between the poly cotton seat savers, Endura precision fit custom seat covers, Leatherette precision fit custom seat covers, and their durable Carhartt seat covers. They're all easy to install and remove, and guess what? They're machine washable too. Easy cleanup to make them look brand new. No more worries about the kids spilling on your seats or your pets damaging your expensive upholstery or leather. Covercraft's quality seat covers protect from damaging pet claws, pet fur, hair, mud, moisture, food, drink spills, drool from permanently damaging your vehicle's fine surfaces. Headrest and armrest covers and color options are also available on many of the styles. And I've got a great offer for you. If you use the code ya 21 yeah 21 at Covercraft.com, they'll give you 10% off plus free shipping. That's right. 10% off and free shipping with the code YEAH21 at checkout. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. Visit Covercraft.com today. American Collectors Insurance, that's my go-to for classic car insurance, and that's where I send all my friends to look at insuring their beloved classic cars. But did you know they also insure your valuable collections of automobilia and other collectibles If you're like me, you've invested in a lot of cool collectibles over the years. Those items are valuable. And if you were to lose them in a theft or a fire, well, try to get your normal homeowners insurance to pay you what they're worth. Good luck with that. American Collectors Insurance provides you with assurance and confidence that your collectibles are fully covered. They insure a lot of items, including automobilia, wine, baseball cards, books, figurines, die-cast models, model trains, glassware, sports memorabilia, toys, and a whole lot more. American Collectors Insurance, they've been protecting us enthusiasts since 1976. They provide you with an agreed value insurance policy backed by a long history of taking care of their clients. Give them a call today for your personal agreed value quote at 866-ACL. Yeah, that's 866-224-9324. Tell them you're a friend of mine, Mark Rain's here at Cars. Yeah, American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. Automotive enthusiasts just like you and me. That's American Collectors Insurance. So, Ben, uh, we are back. I want to go back in time, though. As you evolve, we'll talk probably a little bit about your skiing career and and the tragic ending to that. But let's go back in time a little before the little car company and then how the little car company came to be. So walk us through a little bit of history.
1: Yeah, so I loved cars as a kid. Um, Absolutely adored them. Just grew up taking cars to pieces in my dad's workshop. And and I guess I kind of had to learn how to put them back together. So I studied engineering originally. And I wanted to be a car designer, but unfortunately, I couldn't draw. So I ended up as a sort of serial entrepreneur and did sort of normal jobs. One of the businesses I'd started was sort of in the area, and I was approached by Bugatti back in 2018. They were looking to uh, bring something special back for the 110th anniversary. Um, They already had the voiture Noire, which was the uh, world's most expensive car. They were bringing that to the Geneva Motor Show, but they wanted to do something a bit more fun. Um, They didn't have the bandwidth. To do it themselves, they they approached me and and essentially they wanted to bring up bring a follow up to the nineteen twenty Bugatti Baby.
0: Oh yeah, I remember that little. I think I've seen those being auctioned off. They become quite valuable collector's items.
1: Yeah, they're crazy. They're they're like one hundred and twenty thousand dollars now. I know. They made five hundred of them, half scale. So they were they unfortunately they were too uh, small for kids over the age of about eight. And uh, Bugatti wanted to follow up with something um, as a sort of tribute, and so I put, put a team together, raised a bit of investment, and we started developing the Bugatti Baby Two. Announced it at the Geneva twenty nineteen Motor Show, and yeah, the, the reaction was fantastic. And then we had to build it. Um, oh, <laughs> all the way through, uh, we you know we went through COVID. You know, we had supply chain shortages. It's been a nightmare, but we now have got think about one hundred and eighty of the five hundred are with customers already and feedback's been brilliant and I, th- I think we had some crazy stat like uh, you know one in three of the original customers as soon as they got their car they come back and buy another one of us so we were like brilliant love it
0: <laughs> are people buying these typically for their children or is it just something to have in their collection or on display in their garage
1: well that's one of the challenges everyone sort of says yeah you make really expensive toys but then we sort of say well they do 50 miles an hour they're not kind of designed for anyone's the age of 14 they're they're pretty rapid there's a bit of a mix some people you know use them and put them just put them in their collections and they match them there to their original type 35 uh some people just sort of fly around the garden or their estate in them uh and we've got one guy a dutch guy who actually drives his on the road he's road registered it and he's No way
0: dropped. seriously
1: yeah he loves it and he's just booting around the sort of dutch uh, dutch countryside Wow. So,
0: so you obviously ship cars all over the world then right
1: Yeah, our first cars went to Dubai, Australia, USA. Funnily enough, USA is our biggest market. I think about thirty to forty percent of our cars come over your side of the pond, and we're just we're currently sort of expanding as well because we haven't we haven't really sort of reached out uh, over there that much. We we displayed a Pebble um, for the last couple of years, and the reception was brilliant.
0: Yeah, I was at Car Week and I saw your vehicle. I think it was awesome. We know, we've got a lot of people over here. So uh, we've got a nice market to uh, evolve into. So I think it's cool. Now, another neat thing is you've teamed up with different brands now beyond Bugatti. And you've licensed products. So there's no conflict there. So you can produce these vehicles that have marks like Ferrari on them or Aston Martin. I mean, there's so many of them. The world's a bit of your oyster, I guess I would say.
1: Yeah, it's been quite nice. We, we, I think we were the first. I think we're the only people who do it. And it's funny, Bugatti started as a sort of straight you know, licensing deal. They asked us to help them work with it, and you know, we got a contract with them, and it was fine. And what they discovered was that actually the, the, the real benefit is not in the sort of commercial arrangement. It's in bringing the next generation of Bugatti enthusiasts to the brand. So it sort of went from being like a commercial agreement to a partnership. They lent us Andy Wallace, their chief test driver. We did the shakedown with them. No way, serious? Yeah. (laughs) Andy does all our uh, sign-off work, and so it became a partnership. So you know, when we signed our our next sort of agreements, you know, if you go to the Bugatti website, you can. There is a Bugatti baby on there, and it's a Bugatti product. We make it, we build it for them. Because if Bugatti built it in house, it would probably cost two hundred (laughs) thousand dollars.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: It's a it's a partnership. So. You know, we took the first car to um, uh, very quietly to sort of Ferrari to Maranello. Showed it to the board there, and they were like, "Right, yeah, we they they said we thought you were bringing us a toy, and you you brought us a little car." And that's that's our whole ethos. It is we're we're trying to take these beautiful cars in past, which are way too expensive to drive, um, you know, crazy money, and bring them to a new audience. Just scale them down a bit. So the Bugatti's 75% scale, Ferrari 75%, the Aston's 66%, and just try and give people access to these cars they wouldn't otherwise be able to um and they handle the same so we ferrari is a good example where they led us into the classiche uh, museum and we got the original paper drawings for the 1956 testarossa scanned it rebuilt the chassis identically to the original and got all the handling exactly the same even used pirelli tires with the same tread pattern as the original no way yeah yeah and then it's uh uh, we got Ferrari's test driver, signed it off. They went to uh, Vareano and they signed it off to make sure it was it was there. And the beautiful thing is they said to us, because we, we couldn't go over because of COVID. Um, so we sent two prototypes over and we were at the end of the phone just waiting for the call. And they said, oh, it's a big problem, big problem. You know, we've got two two issues. They said the first one is the dash line isn't right because the car, the test Rossa that they'd scanned had been uh, crashed. And so they just need to, we need to adjust it. And they said, sorry, that's our fault. And they said the second thing, we want you to take all your logos off and just leave the Ferraris one, Ferrari ones on there.
0: Well, there you go. Wow, there's a testament.
1: It was pretty cool. And they uh, Ferrari because it's a partnership. They we, they give us the paint, so the paint Ferrari paint, the le- Ferrari leather. We all the badges come from Ferrari. You know everything we build the car wow. um, in in Oxfordshire, but all the stuff comes from Ferrari. So Nardi make the steering wheel. Um, you know we've got Barania making the wheels like the original. Yeah, it's it's kind of. It's cool. We, we get to build Ferraris, and I still have to pinch myself that we get to do that.
0: <laughs> you know, this is so cool because I imported Ferrari licensed products for years in a previous company I was part of. And I went over there, and I remember I was over there at the Class H area, and we were looking at because my old business partner had a Ferrari car that Nikki Lauda raced. And we wanted to see if they had any documentation. And going into those archives, as you got to do, and opening up the books and seeing Nikki Lauda's signature on testing this F1 car that he drove. And I mean, the history that they have there is tremendous, but more so for what the credibility your product has gained by doing this with a manufacturer that I know, because I worked with Ferrari, they're very picky people to work with and they can be challenging in many ways, but they want things to be right if their brand is on products. And that's what we did. We put their brand on products that we brought over here, everything from beach towels to robes to ties and and other things for the garage, including some tool items and things like that, in conjunction with Usag and some other tool manufacturers. But that is pretty incredible. So it sounds like these vehicles. You said now you've stepped into the EV world, a perfect transition, I would think, for this type of a small vehicle versus trying to put an ICE engine in it.
1: That's it. We we uh, many times I look back. You know, we could have had the cars cheaply designed and, and, you know, get a go-kart and just slap a body on it and slap a badge on it. And then I could have disappeared off to the Maldives with a suitcase full of money. But what we decided was we're going to, and I mean, you know, many times, I wish that's what I'd done. <laughs> well,
0: uh, sounds romantic, doesn't it? <laughs>
1: it, it does. A lot, lot easier as well. But we kind of wanted to do a proper job. So, you know, with the Bugatti, we we disassembled an entire Bugatti Type 35, scanned every component, recreated it in 3D. We got rid of the, the straight eight uh, motor, but we, we created the geometry, the same, the handling, the same, the axles are the same. You know, we did make a couple of changes, you know, the, the brakes now hydraulic rather than uh, cable operated, um, partly because I said to the guys, like guys, 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 they've got to be, got to be cable operated on the original car, like the original. And I drove the first pro and I was like, guys, 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 they've got to be hydraulic. Yeah. These aren't stopping very well. Like death trap. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but they, um, yeah, they did tell me that all along, but, um, but yeah, and we, we kind of, what's been nice because we've done a proper job and we haven't compromised on quality anywhere and the cars are hand built everybody else everyone was spoken to or we're now being approached by manufacturers they are going, okay okay we want to work what what can we do so you know we did the we're doing the db5 with aston martin the only that will be modified a bit because db5 is not really known for its handling it's more of a grand tourer so we actually modified the handling so it would be you know like uh, a current uh, v8 vantage so basically, you can send the DB5 sideways around the track, oh uh, and it's a little drift monster. Um, so that's quite cool. And we've upgraded some of the specs. So you know, the Ferrari and the DB5 have got Brembo disc brakes, they've got I-back springs, they've got Bilstein dampers. They handle like a full-size car. And then we had this brilliant idea: we're like, "Oh, we're, do- we're doing a DB5. What about putting the Bond gadgets in it?
0: Could we do that?" <laughs>
1: so we phoned up Eon Productions, who do the Bond movies, and said, "Hey." We've got this brilliant idea. And they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll try that. Um, so we, have, we do, we're doing 125 DB5s, no time to die edition. So oh. we take the gadgets from the new Bond movie. So it's not rotating number plates anymore. It's a digital screen. It's got a smoke machine in the back. It's got uh, the headlights drop, miniguns come out. There's, they rotate. There's a speaker, you know, the, the LEDs flash. And we put these gadgets into the DB5. Um, <laughs> so we've made a mini Bond car which is just, just brilliant fun.
0: This is so much fun. I mean, this is so cool, what you're doing. It's, it's brilliant. And, and do people order these directly from you, or do they end up going through the manufacturers? How are they sold?
1: Yeah, most of it's direct with us. We, we're actually setting up distributors around the world at the moment um several and actually for several in the states because we've realized you know we're pretty good at designing these little cars and, and building them but it's quite hard from our little site in the uh, middle of rural oxfordshire to be able to serve the world so we are setting up a little car company california and little car company you know new york that kind of stuff okay. uh, the next the next one on the lineup we're, we're still figuring out how we're going to do that because we we're doing um do you remember the Tamiya, radio control cars
0: i do I, I think i even had one probably as a young adult not as a kid but i built the Tamiya models way back when i was a kid so
1: yeah I, it's one of the ways I, I got into my cars too and I, we were we were struggling a bit because you know it's quite expensive to make a mini db5 if you've got the same smith dials that you have on a full-size car Oh yeah, they're a bit smaller but they kind of cost the same <laughs> yeah. so i was trying to think how we could make our cars more accessible and i came up with the idea possibly over a pint that's what if we took a small car and made it full size rather than taking a big car and make it smaller? So we're, we, we then called up Tamiya and said, hey, guys, we've got a brilliant idea. That You may notice that happens a lot with uh, coming up with a great idea. He uh, said, hey, guys, we've got a brilliant idea. Um, we'd like to do a full-size Tamiya. So we are going to production next summer. We're doing the Tamiya Wild One Max full-size, two-seat, road legal Tamiya. What? Yeah. <laughs> Electric Tamiya. Uh, on road, off road, um, yeah, full size. It's it's like one point eight five meters uh, wide by three point five long. Uh, different powertrains. Yeah, it's, we've got one prototype running around already. It's wow. brilliant.
0: Oh my gosh, you're having way too much fun. Now, are we going to see one going up the uh, the the Goodwood and uh, races and the hill climb over there someday?
1: Well, that's the other thing. we we're trying to build a, um, a sort of events we're building an events business to actually give people a chance to bring their cars along have a go we've got we're doing something a little special we're doing a, a sort of little race thing for the ferrari coming up soon we haven't announced yet and yeah we want people to get out in these cars enjoy them race them you know uh, do tours in them we, we just want people to get together and, and bond you know it's lovely seeing gen- different generations bonding over these kind of beautiful cars uh, and we want to do what we can to help that
0: Too much fun, my friend. Uh, Too much fun. It sounds wonderful. You know, I like to ask people about what I call uh, driving inspirations. uh, People that have been mentors, influencers in your life. Have you had somebody like that that's pushed you along, helped you?
1: I've been very lucky, actually. We've got some very cool shareholders, classic car fans, engineers who really helped me. But I guess the guy I looked up to, and this is going to sound quite weird, when I was a kid, and it might explain a thing or two, was Eddie the Eagle. I always thought – I don't know how big a splash he was over there, but um, when he was at the Olympics, this was a guy who was had a, a modicum of talent, and he he was a very good skier. But, oh, my God, was he brave, and he was prepared to do things that other people weren't prepared to do. And, uh, yeah, he's, he always was a bit of an inspiration. I loved this kind of underdog story that Eddie had.
0: Yeah, anybody listening that's not familiar with Eddie, go and Google his name and just read some of the stories about this guy because he was out there. Yeah, I mean the name – is fitting right the nickname that he got eddie the eagle is absolutely spectacular we're going to take a short break thank our sponsors as we come back we'll talk about that challenge i alluded to earlier with then perhaps we'll get into this uh, high speed on snow incident that you had so i'll keep that thought in mind we'll be right back you listeners know that i'm a huge car care fanatic and my friends at Autogeek created their wolfgang deep gloss paint sealant for perfectionists like you and me Wolfgang, a deep gloss paint sealant, is designed to provide long-lasting protection and a glossy, slick finish that, well, it's unmatched. The use of polymer technology ensures your paint is protected from environmental contaminants, those damaging UV rays, and lasts up to three months long. By providing the glossy look of carnauba wax with the longevity of a synthetic formula, Wolfgang, a deep gloss paint sealant, is the best of both worlds. Go to autogeek.net to get yours, for the best product selection on the internet today, along with their skilled technical support. AutoGeek.net is where I go for all my detailing needs. That's AutoGeek.net. I've discovered Linkage. It's a new quarterly publication and website that covers the automotive market, driving, restoring, collecting, and discovering your passion for motor vehicles. Linkage is about experiences, opinions, And be sure to use the code yeah when you subscribe, and they'll give you $10 off. Boom! Linkage, geared for the automotive life. Subscribe today at LinkageMag.com. I'm honored to say that my charity of choice here at cars Yeah is TechForce Foundation. They help young people find an education and career that aligns with their passions. For those who love cars, problem-solving and working with their hands A career as a professional automotive technician is the perfect fit for a fulfilling life. We're all wired differently and not every successful career demands a four-year university. Technical education and the skilled trades matter and we need qualified skilled technicians to keep our vehicles rolling. Learn more about how you can support tomorrow's driving force and workforce of technicians at techforce.org like I do here at Cars Yeah! So, Ben, we're back. I like to ask my guests about big challenges, failures, things they had to overcome, but it's really more about what it taught you, or maybe it was a stepping stone that you never knew it would be into a transition in your life. So, uh, are we going to be talking about a high-speed down-the-snow accident?
1: It probably is the is the right one to do. That's
0: pretty defining when something like that happens,
1: right? It was. It, funnily enough, it's the second time I've broken my neck. The first time... Oh, that, my I gosh. Used to, Yeah, I used to a bit of... Uh, I was, I, vaguely sponsors a snowboarder back in the day and yeah i had a bit of a crash then when i was in my early 20s um so stopped competing on a snowboard but uh yeah the story goes I, i've had a week ski lessons in my life uh when i was about six and i bought a pair of skis on ebay um turned up to world cup speed skiing race to give it a try um but i turned up late uh, there was like a training day the day before where you could like build up from 20 30 40 miles an hour and so i turned up late and they were like well you know you can either come back next year uh, or give it a try, and you can ski all right, can't you? And I was like, uh, ish. So yes, went out, blagged my way into this World Cup race with a pair of skis from eBay, and um, yeah, came last, but got onto the British team. The next year, I sort of somehow got better and better and had a modicum of talent, and yeah, I ended up sort of eighth in the world for a while. But uh, And I was sort of slowing down. I, I was coming up to my it was my 40th birthday, actually. and
0: You were doing this when you were 39 years old?
1: Yeah, I took it up at 30. Um, so I got late into it. Yeah. Uh, but I, yeah, it was my, the world champs, the 2017 world champs when my, they finished on my 40th birthday. I thought, Oh, it's a sign. I'll do one more world champs. Only happens every two years. I get a load of friends come out and then call it quits. And you know, I'm kind of to, not enough time for it. So I, um, yeah, I went out to the world champs and the, the day before I just went a bit aggressive and I've got on live on Swedish TV. I crashed at 115 miles an hour my helmet came off, broke my neck. I took a uh, an inch out of my ulna. Um, so I, I've got a titanium rod in my left arm, which holds that together. But the bone's grown back now. Broke a few ribs. And uh, yeah, all live on Swedish TV in front of my 10 of my best friends who have come out to watch me and support Whoa. me.
0: You know, watching ski crashes is so frightening. It's scary. You know, when a body separates from it's platform, skis, or it's like watching motorcycle Jeep, motor GP or Isle of Man and those guys crashing. You just don't even want to watch. It's like, a train wreck. You don't want to watch, but you watch, but you don't want to watch. But seeing skiers do that, especially like ski jumping, speed skiing, downhill, and you just go, oh my gosh, because you just look like a rag doll. When that happens, I mean, it happens so fast. Is part of your training knowing to try to relax so you don't fight things? Because isn't it when you fight stuff is when you might jam something and break something. Is that am I yeah, thinking right?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's funny that you can have depending on the slope. I, I was unlucky. My my fall was bad, but I've got friends who have crashed 145 miles an hour and they get up the next day. You get some burns, but that's the that's the worst of it. If you fall right, you can get up and race the next day. Um my mine unfortunately I I caught an edge and I high sided And so that sort of flipped me and I went, I turned into a sort of torpedo along the slope. And when the helmet came off, that's it. I was, I was kind of out for the count, but you can, you can learn to fall well, as they say, and just go, you've got a ragdoll. You've got to persuade your body just to sort of relax, even though you natural thing is you want to be tense as tense as you can.
0: Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, I'm glad you're still here with us, but uh, yeah, maybe that was a sign that it was time to retire, I guess.
1: I think so. Yeah, yeah, I
0: think so. Kind of thing. Well, I like to obviously talk with guests about cars. And I mentioned in my intro for you, you've got some very cool cars in your garage. You like to go out on a track in a catering, which I got to drive one of those ones. I mean, man, talk about a go-kart. Those things are cool. So tell us about maybe one special vehicle in your life.
1: Yeah, I guess, I guess the most fun or the most random one I've had is a friend and I, we drove across the Sahara Desert back in 2005. Um, for charity, so we did this kind of. You drive from London. You're only you're supposed to buy a car for five hundred pounds, and then you drive it to um, Banjul in the Gambia. And uh, yeah, we and we thought we got a Mitsubishi Pajero. I think you have Montero. They're also known Montero, as Montero.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, we got one of those. It's done. I think it's done quarter of a million miles, and it was in bad shape. But we drove that from London, and we thought. There was people driving in ice cream vans. We thought, we're going to make this harder for Ice ourselves. cream
0: van? Well, good thing to take take ice cream into the desert. Maybe not a good idea.
1: <laughs> yeah. It was all kinds of terrible cars going, and we we thought we'd make it harder. So we we bought a 91-pound uh, caravan off eBay a couple of days before, hitched it up, and off we went. And, uh, yeah, we had a great adventure. We we kind of run out of water in the desert. Uh, had to drink warm, warm beer, uh, warm flat beer. That was <laughs> oh, pretty horrible. God. Um we I wakeboarded along the Atlantic on the coast, uh behind the behind the car. So we'd drive on the beach, yeah, get a long rope and I'd be in the water. But the trouble was the waves were coming in. So we'd be doing like thirty miles an hour and then suddenly the water would run out as the wave went back out and I'd hit sand at thirty. And I kinda of thought, yeah, I'm gonna do myself some damage here if I I've uh,
0: did this before in the snow. Not a good thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah, we we were three days from the hospital, so uh that could have been a bit messy. Uh we got shot at. I was a bit That was a bit sketchy. Yeah. That was, we had a, woke up one morning, a bullet hole in the, in the side of the car. Um, Oh yeah. We, um, uh, we had a, the caravan had a blowout, um, had a a puncture in a minefield. So basically Western Sahara where it's kind of no man's land and there's a minefield across two and you drive across this rock passage and there's like burned out old VW buses that went across the mines. But there's only it's only wide enough for like one or two vehicles, and we we were stuck in the middle of this thing, and we had a spare tire, but we had to do that thing where you pour the lighter fluid to get it oh sealed. yeah to
0: get the yeah, the sealed. wheel to expand yeah <clears throat> our tire to expand. Was,
1: yeah in the middle of a minefield. Let's just say it was a <laughs> sketchy moment.
0: You know, you're not a very daring guy, dude. Uh, Gee whiz, maybe you need to live a little more. My goodness. That sounds crazy. That was
1: that was a wild trip. That, that was a wild trip.
0: That's gotta win, be right up there in the top five most unique special vehicle stories here. And that's saying something after two thousand one hundred and- well, let's see, uh, 71 people here. So there you go. That's a lot. So I'm going to be your car psychologist. Now that we know the crazy side of Ben, this could be an interesting place to go. Uh, if you were reincarnated, pun intended, you became a vehicle, manifested vehicle. This isn't what you want to be, though. This is how you perceive the man in the mirror. What would you be and why?
1: Oh, good question. Uh, I think I'd probably probably my old 911. So, uh, okay. yeah, it's, it's really scruffy on the outside. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty fit and healthy underneath, but it's a bit scruffy. And there was a period <laughs> when they went for buttons cause nobody wanted them. Um, but it's a, yeah, my old nine, six, four, it's a 1989 car and, uh, yeah, it's, it's had a little rough work done to it. It's, um, had a bit of engine tuning and yeah, it's just, it's, I think, you know, after a nuclear war, we're going to have cockroaches and air-cooled nine hey, eleven. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you know, I had a 964. I had a 91 Carrera 2. It was my daily driver, and it was just a wonderful car. And you know, you know now why Rob Dickinson takes those vehicles as the platform for his singer builds, uh, because they're just there's so many nice things about them. Mine was special ordered from the factory with a lot of very cool options, and the guy had taken off the second muffler. So it sounded like a small block V8. It had the most, I'd go to Porsche events and people would go, what have you got in that thing? It doesn't sound like a stock Porsche engine, but it just kind of opened the engine up a little bit. More like a race car kind of thing, but it was still street legal. But those are wonderful cars in 964s. I, I enjoyed that car a lot.
1: They're brilliant. singer, finally, singer have actually got their UK base uh, about 50 foot from where we are at um, Vista Heritage. Oh my gosh. And, I'm constantly, because I keep my 911 there, I'm constantly worried that I'm going to wake up. (laughs) He's going to steal it. It's going to be gone. They'll have snapped it.
0: (laughs) Well, you don't have to worry, because they've stopped building that variation of the car now. Uh, I think once they get the order, I think they've got a four-year backlog or something like that. And uh, and now he's on to the turbo version, which is interesting, because I just sold an 87 turbo that I'd had for 13 years. And so seeing him take that variation of that iconic Widowmaker and do a Singer deal to it, is pretty cool it's just the prices are a little bit steep so <laughs>
1: just, they're, yeah they're not cheap i think we all aspire to a singer one day but i think uh, it's going to be more i have to sell more than one kidney to get get one of those
0: i told rob i said you know um every once in a while i waste two bucks on a lottery ticket and i write one word on the back singer <laughs> Just in hopes that by osmosis, the right numbers will come up. But, of course, uh, the odds are not very good. So I don't have one in my garage yet. Pretty cool. You know, uh, I have no doubt, Ben, that your company will have a backlog going uh, much like Rob's at some point, maybe already happening. So I like to ask about great books, great books you've read you'd like to share with the listeners.
1: Yeah. So there's one of been we, We're actually working with a guy. Um, I don't know. Does the, has the Alpine A110 made it over to you guys?
0: Well, you can see once in a while somebody's figured out a way to get it in, but uh yeah, it's I know the car you're talking about.
1: Yeah, it's it was the chief engineer on it, it was a guy called David Tuick um who has actually come helped us with a couple of things. He's a really really nice Irish guy. Um and he wrote a book called Inside the Machine and we tried to build our car company without without any kind of um influence from the from the big OEMs. We tried to Think like a startup and be agile and not follow the rules that everyone else does. But it's really useful to see the experience of someone like David, who is responsible for the uh, Nissan Qashqai, Alpine A110, Renault Zoe, and, and understand the sort of read his book and understand the mistakes that, you know, the big companies make and the mentality and see if we can just pluck bits without becoming a big company. but Just pluck bits out. And it's really nice. You know, working with David is, a, is an absolute pleasure. He's a, a brilliant guy and he's, that Alpine A110 is incredible.
0: Very cool. So I'm going to enable you to go on what I call the ultimate drive. This is kind of a fun concept. I'm going to park any car in your garage for you to take on a road trip. Now, since you've been on some interesting road trips, your answer could be pretty unique here. You can take it anywhere you'd like and you can bring anybody with you, even somebody from the past who is no longer with us, which opens up the world to all sorts of opportunities. So what does this ultimate ultimate drive look like for a wild guy like you?
1: Oh, it's a, it's a good question. It's funny. I kind of, I'd, I'd love, it's very cliched, but I'd love to get inside the mind of Elon Musk. You know, he's, uh, he has we all? <laughs> changed a generation. Um, and I'd love to get some time with Elon to sort of understand where his head's going. And, and, you know, see, cause I think uh, we, we, we're coming at a very different, we're trying to make classic cars fun and things like the Tamiya as well, which is going to be a kind of fun, fun car. Um, but I'd love to hear his sort of insight into, um, you know, what, you know, what, where he sees the world going. Um, and to do it, I you know, I'd love, I've never been to the Canyon roads up in LA. I'd love to, love to drive those. Um, that's definitely on the bucket list. And to do it, it would either have to be a rough yellow bird, which is just my favorite <laughs> car ever, or I love the new Myers Manx, the Myers Manx 2.0, the electric one. I think that thing's brilliant. It's such a—I uh, was lucky enough to go over and see those guys recently, and um, Freeman and his team have done a superb job on it. It's—it's it's a really, really beautiful thing. So, yeah, that would be it. Canyon Roads, Elon Musk shooting, yeah, uh, shooting on the roads, and uh, yeah, in you know, a Myers Manx, electric Myers Manx or a rough yellow bird. One of the two.
0: You know, I spoke with Freeman at the Quail event uh, last month during Car Week and saw that car and having had bruce myers on the show before we lost him last year um the first car i ever drove was a myers manx when i was eight years old on the beach my aunt had one down in mexico bah and so that's kind of a fun thing and to have him on the show and then to see what freeman and his team have done and i'm trying to get him on the show here to talk about that he said he would do it so as soon as we can he's a little busy right now i think building a couple cars you know um, that thing i think is going to blow up um you know i meaning to so many cars. Everyone's going to want one. But the Roof, I mean, there's another one. I got to visit Aloe Roof for the first time in 1996 after picking up a new Porsche at the factory. And that's the first place we went was his facility. His test driver gave us a ride in a Yellowbird and then let us drive it through the country roads. And oh my goodness. I mean, that whole story with Roof and how it all started with his dad and a 356 that crashed in front of them. And he bought it and restored it. And the legacy that they're doing. I just had uh, his wife on my show last month as well. Um, I had met her right after they got married. And that whole story of how they even met is a crazy story. So you pick some fun cars. Maybe you go up the canyon in a roof and down, or well, maybe a little slower in the Myers-Banks. I know the Myers-Banks is going to be fast, but... I would think it doesn't handle quite as well as the roof, but a little more fun or take it to the beach and cruising down the beach with Elon. But you mentioned getting into Elon Musk's head. That has got to be one crazy place. Uh, That guy's incredible. Uh, Amazing. I mean, we need a world full of Elon Musk to be thinking so far out of the box. I mean, he's, I always say he's from Mars. That's why he wants to go back (laughs) because he's out of this world. But uh,
1: yeah, nice,
0: nice choice.
1: You love him or hate him, uh, and but he's he is definitely a visionary, and I'm I just think that electric cars are provi- producing a really interesting opportunity for petrol heads or gas heads, or um, and and yeah, he's he's obviously uh, he's sort of started the you know mainstream electric cars and, and made Tesla what it is, but also. I think it's a really good, interesting niche for guys like Freeman um, and the Myers Manx crew because they're making, it doesn't, they don't have to go crazy volumes, but they're just making fun stuff that you couldn't really do without electricity. So, yeah, I, I, I think we're in a kind of a, I know that the gasoline is going out, out the window, but I, I think we're in a really interesting time in the automotive space and it's allowing companies like us to do something different. You know, we, we're putting, making a Tamiya road vehicle. You couldn't do that a few years ago. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's
0: it's a renaissance, right. really. I yeah. think. You know what's going on. And I've had many guests on the show that are doing just that and then taking old classics like Scion with their P-1800. They're going to be going electric with that. Uh Z-Electric, uh David Bernardo down in San Diego, California, who I had on years ago that was taking old VW bugs and buses and putting electric in those things. You just see more and more people at the Quail in 2019. There was a Jaguar XKE electric power sitting there and so yeah this is opening up some very cool opportunities for us car guys that love classics to put a different power plant in them and once you get past the blasphemy of destroying an original car and you think how about making something useful yeah you know and, and faster it, you know why not that's it
1: it's I, I, when i i get on my soapbox a little bit because I, I sort of think uh, a two and a half ton suv is a bad thing whether it's powered by diesel gasoline electricity or kittens tears it doesn't matter it's a bad kittens thing <laughs> um we've what we need to be doing is is kind of looking looking again at what's the problem we're trying to solve you know getting from a to b in a fun way well do you need, really need a 87 way adjustable electric heated seat that you move once and then you kind of leave it exactly where it is and you just carry all that weight around with you so don't know i i think there's a we're in a really interesting time and, and elon's been at the front front of it but i think there are opportunities for kind of cool stuff to happen even for us die in the heart petrol heads like myself, I think you know, we can, Yeah, know, it's, it's fun times.
0: It's really fun times. So before I let you go today, could you share maybe a, a mantra, some words of inspiration for our listeners?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm not sure I've got much inspiration, but um, I don't know, I, I, I've always prided myself on doing the right thing and treating my team right. So one thing we do, which I think is unusual for the automotive space, is everyone who works for the company, I think there's about 60 of us at the moment, uh, everyone gets shares in the business so we're all awesome. so it's our it's our company uh, it's not my company it's our company and i think it's really important um and you know treating i try and treat the team better than i treat myself um and we have we have an incredible team of brilliant automotive engineers and and commercial team and the marketing team they're all brilliant so i'm very very proud of the team and and yeah hopefully we have a fun place to work and we have a bit of fun at the same time so it yeah. s-
0: sounds like it for sure. Uh, you can find The Little Car Company at thelittlecarcompany.co, right?
1: That's it. Yeah.
0: Yep. There we go. I encourage you listeners to check this out. Uh, you're, it's going to put a huge smile on your face like it has for mine. I want to do a shout out thank you to Tom Gibson connected us today tom's been great he's brought me many many great guests so tom thank you very much ben hey thanks for uh sharing a wonderful story wonderful life and an incredible business that you're building here this is so much fun until you and i talk again my friend i'll see you down the road hopefully in a little car see you soon thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at cars yeah